0: Welcome to Building Blocks, connecting people, places, and policies. Building Blocks is a space for thought-provoking conversations about the current issues, trends, ideas, and big questions facing the affordable housing and community development field in the United States. I'm your host, Laurel Blatchford, president of Enterprise Community Partners. As a proven and powerful nonprofit, Enterprise creates opportunity for low- and moderate-income people through affordable housing in diverse, thriving communities. It's now been nine months since Hurricanes Irma and Maria devastated the Caribbean, leaving regions of Puerto Rico and the USVI in ruins. On the first episode of Building Blocks, we discussed initial response and made some early predictions about FEMA's response and federal appropriations to meet the needs on the islands. As we creep towards the one-year anniversary of the storms and the beginning of the 2018 hurricane season, I wanted to take a minute to revisit the response on the island and to discuss the progress made as well as the challenges that still lie ahead. So today we're going to be focusing on Puerto Rico, and from an outsider's perspective, many of the tourist destinations on the island have gone back to business as usual, with the majority of hotels and public attractions operating regularly since the end of December 2017. However, the reality is that recovery across the island is still varied. A uh, considerable number of Puerto Ricans are without power. Over 200 schools have been closed. Medical care is considered unreliable, and local businesses remain shuttered. And let's not forget those who've left. Within the first six months, more than 135,000 Puerto Ricans left for the mainland, some permanently changing their addresses. And although individuals have begun to return with plans to rebuild, the mass exodus, battered infrastructure, and crippled economy have continued to slow the island's recovery. In May of 2018, the governor of Puerto Rico announced his plans for the first installment of the nearly $20 billion approved by the Department of Housing and Urban Development to support Puerto Rico recovery. If HUD approves the governor's $1.5 billion request, funds are expected to start flowing in August. To dive deeper into this and get a sense of where things are on the ground, I'm really happy today to be joined by Erica Ruiz, Director of Enterprise Advisors, and Lori Schumann, Senior Program Director of National Initiatives focused on resilience. Can you both give our listeners a brief introduction of each of you, and who you are, what you've been doing? and share your background in technical assistance, disaster response, and resilience building.
1: All right, great. Well, thank you so much, Laurel. Um, This is Erica Ruiz, and I'm, again, a director at Enterprise Advisors. I've been with Enterprise for about five years. My primary role has been providing technical assistance to the nonprofit sector, municipal governments, state governments, across the country, But over the last five years, I've also spent a significant amount of time working in Puerto Rico providing some of those services. My area of expertise is in public housing, so delivery um, of services to that type of housing. But since Hurricane Maria, we have really expanded our efforts in Puerto Rico with providing that technical assistance at a comprehensive level to a variety of organizations. So that's just me in short.
2: Thank you, Laurel. Um, I joined Enterprise about five and a half years ago to uh, help uh, manage the recovery effort in New York City after Superstorm Sandy. At that time, we worked with about 12 leading affordable housing developers across the region to help identify ways to support their recovery. We found a lot of interesting things out about their work and what their needs were at the time and the gaps in the sector to support their reconstruction. I have a general background in urban planning and construction Uh, working with communities across the country uh, around resilience and sustainability, and I'm happy to be working with our entire team to help figure out a way to support a resilient recovery in Puerto Rico and the USVI.
0: So lots of technical expertise here, Mm -hmm. so I want to make sure we're really defining terms for folks. So can you guys give me a sense of how you both have been involved in Puerto Rico, especially in the last few months? Mm and maybe if you could just share a few stories and examples of how of what we're doing like what you know this is a very heart-wrenching story for many people Mm -hmm. what does technical assistance actually mean how does it contribute to the recovery how does the work that you're doing lori contribute to things like rebuilding in a way that an individual homeowner uh, might see as beneficial so Whoever wants to go first, I'd love to hear your thoughts
1: on that. Yeah, I can start. So I think one thing to note is that we've been working in Puerto Rico a number of years. So Enterprise, um, as an organization, we have a lot of resources, tools, learnings from across the country. And so we've been in Puerto Rico in a couple of different contexts. So investments in tax credit properties, so low-income housing, um, green, resiliency, design, and the capacity building and technical assistance which before coming to Enterprise I also was not what does that mean exactly very much sounded very IT focused and what it is is really helping those who are in positions at government be able to help identify how to use the resources more effectively sometimes addressing systems you know addressing um, how they engage with people analyzing the issues that they're trying to solve for so that looks very different in different communities and in Puerto Rico you know, we've worked with the um, Departamento de la Vivienda with their state housing plan before. So, again, it's identifying what are the housing needs across the island and how do we put strategies in place and how do we utilize other entities such as nonprofit organizations, for-profit, et cetera, to be able to advance those activities. So that's just kind of a, a snapshot of what we've done before. Hurricane Maria. And then since then, um, our immediate response was providing grants for our nonprofit partners in both Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands because there was such a need to be able to provide resources for the nonprofits that were now providing food, emergency shelter, medical services, educational services, you name it. Really, they've kind of stretched beyond their own capacities. And it was important to support them because they were kind of the first responders on the ground. You know, Since then, we've done a lot of things, and I'll let Lori talk about the, the Resiliency Manual, which is kind of like out the gate, one of our biggest activities, but we're also looking at kind of a comprehensive view. We're not a um, humanitarian aid organization. We really do focus on those, those short-term and long-term strategies. So we're helping um, build the capacity in the nonprofit sector, is something that we've done before, Maria, and we'll continue doing that across the board. Um, We're also helping develop strategies for the governor's economic and recovery plan um, focused on housing, as well as we're hoping to work with some pilot communities on community resilience planning. So again, the events of Hurricane Maria and Irma have really highlighted the vulnerabilities of the entire island and how this is the time now to really effectually effectually engage community at such a broader level um, to be able to, to plan for the future. So so that's, in a nutshell, a lot of what we're doing and more to come. So I think one of the things I'll mention, too, is that we're involving so many parts of enterprise. And, again, we have so many resources that we'll continue to, to bring that to the community and be as helpful as we can.
2: So, so it's interesting. We went down in November, right mm-hmm. after Maria, our whole team went down, and I took with me a stack of manuals that we developed mm-hmm. in Superstorm Sandy with our multifamily housing partners in HUD and other partners like FEMA to kind of help shape what resilient housing looks like for the multifamily housing sector. So I remember having these stack of manuals with us. Many of them were dog-eared by the time we were finishing up our trip. And I remember uh, meeting the president of the Puerto Rico Builders Association, Mm -hmm. Ricardo Alvarez, uh, at a conference he was holding and I gave him one. And we met later in New York and together we said, he said, why don't we create something like this for Puerto Rico? So that was the beginning of our resilient housing guide, which is called Keep Safe Puerto Rico. And this has really evolved into a a project Mm -hmm. to not only create a guide that highlights the best strategies for developing resilient housing, both single family, multifamily, self-built, formally built, it has evolved into a guide plus training program that includes more than 100 experts from around the island. We've got our partners with the University of Puerto Rico mm-hmm. Planning School, Architecture School, as well as the Puerto Rico Home, Puerto Rico Builders Association and additional partners that have come on like the MIT Urban Risk Lab, Thornton Tomasetti, Perkins and Will, um, IBHS, and experts from around the island in a range of disciplines. Two weeks ago we convened them in a, uh, a space in San Juan sponsored by Banco Popular and we had a full day breakfast reception discussing what are the best Mm -hmm. strategies in Puerto Rico for housing resilience. So we're really excited about this project because what we think it's going to be able to do is shape how housing reconstruction occurs, making sure we incorporate mitigation and adaptation Mm -hmm. so that the, the opportunity we have now with the resources coming in will be leveraged for a safer future for Puerto Rico. But this is very much a project that's bottom up. Our role is really facilitating this work and we're really excited about what this is evolving into.
0: So it sounds like we've started to engage in really concrete ways Mm -hmm. and it's so exciting and important. Obviously the problem is enormous, right? The the island is facing and as you both know, recovery is a multi-year effort, right? And we're just at the beginning. Can you talk a little bit about, in the conversations you referenced when you're visiting the Mm -hmm. island and working with folks there, what are the other themes and issues that are coming up, whether to sort of more broadly, and and I would say within that, which ones do you expect that Enterprise we will want to be engaging in? Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would say that one of the things, again, from our our initial visit and initial contact with our nonprofit groups was just, you know we're not waiting around. We're taking a proactive stance. You know, there's been a lot of controversy as far as how the recovery in these immediate, you know, September 21st, the immediate um, aftermath of the storm and how that was handled, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, these groups took ownership of their communities. and um, I remember that when we went in
0: November, it was clear that they... There was a lot of self-advocacy and ownership, yeah. and that's amazing. And community. So that's a theme. Yeah, and the I community. would say advocacy
1: is one of these areas in Puerto Rico that, in certain frames, you know, I would say this isn't across the board, but in certain areas, you know, particularly housing advocacy wasn't very strong. You know, there was kind of almost a reactive space for that and a consciousness about it, but not necessarily what I'm seeing now. So I would say that there's such a higher level of advocacy. But again, um, solution-oriented, focused taking care of each other community so even in a building with a generator that they can only put on for a couple hours a day they were you know here are the community rules for using this kitchen facility so that we can cook meals you know this is a an eight-story building a couple over 100 units it's just kind of like okay here's how we have to reuse these resources um with our limited time you know we're all going to be a little uncomfortable and we're going to try to do the best we can. But here is how we support each other. They had a wall with all these different quotes, just kind of like, stay strong, stay together, really kind of motivating each other. That's like, you know, this is really difficult. And we don't see the, the clear path, the end of this at this time, you know, that most of the islands still didn't have electricity. But it was very motivating to see how a lot of groups have stepped up. A lot of groups that were kind of more on like, okay, well, we're just doing our thing, have now taken that leadership. And I think that was really present in that convening we had of people just like, I'm here and I'm staying all day, and you're going to hear from me, but I'm also here listening to others that I really don't ever get a chance to talk to.
2: You know, one of the, the biggest challenges, in my view, for 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 the housing stock on the island is the fact that almost over 55% of the housing stock is self-built, according to um, estimates by the Puerto Rico Builders Association. Can you describe what that means? Self-built housing is housing, and we can all define it in our own way, but it's housing that really has, the builders have not submitted for permit and compliance with the building department, Mm -hmm. and often will work directly with a design-build contractor who will go in and retrofit or add on or modify the building without going through formal processes of getting permitting and, and So compliance. in
0: a world where building codes could help you be more resilient mm-hmm. and ensure, this, let's say, consistent use of materials or elevation or construction types or approaches, that's not happening in that kind of housing stock to date. To Is date right? for
2: a variety of reasons. Right. Number one, mm-hmm. financial. Right. It's expensive to hire an engineer or an architect. Often, too, households need to expand the house or, or modify it based on timing needs. And the mm-hmm. process to get a permit can take months, if not years. And so it's much easier to go ahead over you know, a course of a couple of days and build out the structure or modify it to accommodate your, your family's needs. But we know that buildings built to code did sustain Maria. For the most part, they performed better than the right. buildings that weren't. So one of the biggest challenges that uh, we're looking at in the guide and the work we're doing with the technical aspects of this is how do you apply certain building standards to housing that is not inherently up to code? Do you uh, retrofit the roof and bring that up to code, and yet the rest of the structure is not at code? How do you negotiate that that very Mm -hmm. delicate process? This is a big issue on the island. Right, even land.
1: land. You know, it's just like, again, a lot of where people have housing, you know, maybe not be the the safest, you know, for a variety of, of, of environmental issues. And there's a whole we I don't I know we don't have all the time in the world to talk about all of the back history as kind of like how this how fifty percent or more of the island is considered informal housing. I mean there's definitely a lot of systemic things that help create that. But I think what we're looking at is helping, you know, keep people safe and how to really in a humanitarian aspect, uh, the human touch of this, of like, how do you uh, make people safe, whether it's on site or somewhere else, you know, and I think that it's, it's really hard, because you're looking at large communities that have lived where they live for many decades, if not centuries, so um, it's a very delicate issue, but I think that that is one that has to be dealt with, considering the amount of people who were rejected for federal resources for many of the reasons that Lori stated, if not more. So it's it's an exhaustive issue that a lot of people are now looking at finding solutions for.
0: I also want to just draw out this point about federal resources mm-hmm. because the lack of um, engagement and, and sort of putting forward, whether it's because you don't have the right paperwork right. or because FEMA hasn't done consistent outreach or maybe there's issues around language, mm-hmm means that the island will get fewer resources, both in the short and longer term, right? Right. So can you guys talk a little bit about questions around reporting and data around this? Because I'm thinking the most painful and recent example of that that we've all seen is the study that was published by the New England Journal of Medicine last week that estimated 4,600 people across mm-hmm. Puerto Rico died as a result of the hurricane. So far exceeding the yeah. official number of 64? To me, that's the most stark example, but there are many others where the data and the kind of reporting that we all have access to through kind of traditional quote unquote Mm -hmm. sources is probably gonna be much less than what the actual need is. So if you can just talk a little bit about that, whether that's the FEMA kind of application process or where are we seeing that and how is that gonna impact our work and how how are we working to address that?
1: I see it across the board. It's the lack of reliable data the, the lack of data collection across the board and, and various, you know, if we're looking at what is the true need of, of housing, right? The impact of the storm and the damages it caused and and just general, you know, where people live and vacancies. I mean, across the board, all the numbers that we're trying to look at and develop strategies for are, are not the strongest. I think even, you know, census data isn't the most reliable for Puerto Rico. So I think a lot of our recommendations are, you know, we need to do more collective effort and in, in getting better data and collecting better data, analyzing better data. Um, and so analyzing this goes data. back
0: to geocoding.
1: Correct. Being Correct.
0: incomplete, right? I mean, this is, some of this we can fix through effort and some of this is a broader thing that's well right. outside of just Oh, oh yeah,
1: absolutely. So it, it's a, a multifaceted intervention yep. that I think this again escalated, like it just brought it out to a higher level. Of the need, because it's hard to tell the full story. And I think that even with Hurricane Maria, the, the impact of Maria, whether it's um, loss of property, loss of lives, is still unfolding. You know, as we get deeper into this. And I think that you know, Lori, with construction costs and things and like rebuilding, you know, it's 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 really hard to pinpoint. And data is critical to that anywhere else, and, and especially here.
2: Data gathering is one of the most important things that any community could do after an event. In New York City, we ran assessments of 55 housing properties after, after Sandy to assess the vulnerabilities and needs of their housing. Mm-hmm. We've seen in partner communities in New Mexico, the Owinga tribe, for example, community members were empowered to actually assess their own properties. I think we need to be doing more thinking about the kind of data gathering tools we, we set up and how we stand up these assessment programs. We're running a program in New York City right now called Flood Help New York City where we've actually built assessment tools that can assess the true needs of affordable housing. I think that what we should discuss at some point is how can we empower communities to do more Mm -hmm. assessment of their own housing stock because having engineers coming in from outside of the community to assess the community needs may not always generate the kind of knowledge you need to to address the concerns and address yes, the true and needs. in an
0: era of, of smartphones and other Absolutely. kind of
2: consumer-enabled technology, you would Mark. imagine that there might be a way to do that. Online mm-hmm. assessments that can be geocoded on-site by the community members and then sent to a centralizing body. But especially with self-built housing, it's very difficult to take someone from the outside of the community with a very kind of certain kind of view of what housing should look like mm-hmm. and a prescribed sense of what housing needs to be to be livable and then send them into communities and the cultural difference is huge and I don't think it generates the kind of data that we need. So another area
0: that I would love for you both to talk a bit about and you mentioned this already but just partnerships Mm -hmm. we say we and we think about enterprise and you know we have a lot to offer but this is such a big challenge and there's Mm -hmm. so many people working on it Right. Can you just talk a little bit about the kinds of partnerships that we, either we are developing, have developed, or mm-hmm. want to develop to achieve this kind of work and impact?
1: Oh yeah, I would say that you know again our strongest partnerships are with the nonprofit sector. So we've been working with them for many many years, and you know it's important to there are connections to communities as well as well, and there are also our connections to municipalities. So like they really kind of play such a, a critical role. Um, so we consider them our partners, you know, in in you know, does this course of action, does this intervention, is this strategy, is this feasible? Like, what what do you have to go through in order to implement this? It's really important, right, because they're kind of the foot soldiers to implement a lot of this. And if, you know, we're kind of in our back seat here, thinking of things and not connecting with them, it's for nothing. Um, so we also, again, we consider um, foundations, you know, so one of the partners that we have on the ground is La Fundación Comunitaria de Puerto Rico, and they are also very active in the nonprofit sector and have really um, taken um, a stance with helping support the affordable housing industry. So again, we're working on how can we um, augment the capacity of this industry as a whole. Um, you know, we have lots of partners on the um, on our contract now that we have with the, the governor's document. So we're, our team is basically half stateside have consultants in Puerto Rico who come from a variety of disciplines. So we have some architects, we have some planners, we have some financing folks, people who work in homeless services, community planning, you name it. So I think we have brought together such a strong team. I love this team. <laughs> I wish I could, this is my dream team because we have you know, national expertise and we have local experts and the context so that we're making sure that these solutions make sense in Puerto Rico. We're not one of those one size fits all. You know, We always make sure that we're getting that context and bringing along local partners is really critically important for us as enterprise. And I think that's how we approach our work across the board in various communities.
2: And to create any kind of initiative that's collaborative, you have to have public, private sector partners. And I think, as Erica said, um, in order to really create a guidance document, a training program that's gonna be supportive, it has to be participatory. Mm-hmm. And we've got some great new philanthropic partners on, on board. We've got uh, Miami Foundation, New York Community Trust, as well as Unidos for Puerto Rico, investing in our Climate Smart Islands Initiative work, because mm-hmm. um, this work is all potentially uh, scalable to other communities that are on islands in, in other parts of the country. So partnerships are key to all mm-hmm. of our work.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. so true. So one last question. As you know very well, we're now officially in 2018 hurricane season. I don't know that the weather pays attention to the clock, but June 1st was that day, right? right yeah. So how, how do we look ahead to whether it's Puerto Rico or other places that have recently experienced disasters and help them prepare for what might be another bad storm season, whether it's this year or next year, but certainly within the timeline for rebuilding?
2: It's a sad reminder June 1st commemorates the beginning of a five-month period of great volatility for much of this country and actually it rang in with a hurricane warning the first day and now we're dealing with fires in Colorado and floods in Ellicott. A lot of the work that's been done with partnership building between municipalities and cities and community groups has to continue. Uh, What we need to do is codify what great work has been done in previous events and, and really have folks appointed from communities at the local level to steward these processes. All too often we lose the staffing capacity to keep the momentum and the structure going with a lot of mm-hmm. communities and that we need to make sure we stand those back up and as well as getting public partner supports like FEMA to be able to think through the needs of communities and truly assess where the communities are at right now. June 1st needs to be the month of assessment and determination of who's going to shepherd um, response and recovery in, in many communities mm-hmm. that are so prone to floods and to hurricanes.
1: Yeah, and I think that we didn't talk about the the, the exodus of people who left the island because of the limitations for um, sheltering. You know, from the storm, where in other communities, you know, that's more accessible. But I think that you know we want to make sure that we're helping. You know, particularly Puerto Rico, kind of get back to the providing that safe space for people so people can go back home and also be part of the recovery efforts. I know that's been a challenge with folks in Puerto Rico going to all 50 states, staying with families, staying in hotels, staying in shelters, etc. You know, and that's been very rough for the the island. It, it was a last resort. It was what had to happen. But I think that, you know, there's rebuilding starting now. You know, we're helping to help to inform rebuilding in a, in a resilient way but definitely there needs to be a broader effort to make sure that people can come back home soon, sooner rather than later.
2: One thing I want to mention though, we have a couple resources that we'd like communities to pay attention to and to look at as a guide. One is our Ready to Respond toolkit, which is an emergency preparedness planning template um, featuring the incident command system, and it's a great resource to, to build your emergency plan. We also have a strategies for resilience guide in place, but what, one of the things we're doing at Enterprise, which I'm very excited to report, is we're standing up an internal committee um, of, of folks from around the, the company to talk about our internal risk mitigation, how we're assessing our, our vulnerability, our exposure, and dealing and managing our risk, um, and so we're going to be starting that process to help figure out what we can internally do to help our communities in the field.
0: Well, thank you both for joining this conversation. So glad to have you. And Godspeed, really important work you're doing. And thank you for telling us about today. Thank you for having us. Upcoming episodes of Building Blocks will explore a variety of topics in the housing and community development field and conversations with industry professionals, change makers, and enterprise experts. Please send your feedback to Podcast at enterprisecommunity.org. Thank you for listening.